And when I looked back at my childhood, I was so focused on my shit. Like I was so focused on what I didn't have and I was so focused on my pain. And I was surrounded by adults who did the same thing. So it's, it's called that learnt helplessness. So fast forward, I become a mother and I kind of do the opposite. Like I, I switch, I flip that switch and the switch is now, how can I, how can I, how can I feel good? How can I become the person I want my child to be? This is a conversation with Heather Chauvin. She is a parenting and women's leadership coach who helps women understand themselves and their children on a deeper level. Last year, she released her first book called Dying to Be a Good Mother. And we are touching on some of the elements of that today in this conversation. But I'm sure you will hear from this conversation how aligned I felt with Heather and her message. As I joke, I think we have the same spirit guides whispering in our ears. In this episode, we're talking about how you have to do the emotionally uncomfortable work to really get to the good stuff. We're touching on some of the beliefs women carry that hold us back, how indulging in self-help and spiritual entertainment is not the same as doing the work, her deep desire to find a way to feel alive inside and how she did that, energetic time management and how we can apply it in our lives, the concept of sustainability and how we can make our lives more sustainable. Gosh, we need that, don't we? And finally, we touch on entrepreneurship as a mother and her path to creating her own business. To learn more about Heather, you can go to heatherchauvin.com. Check the spelling of that in the show notes. You can also learn more about Heather's work over there and how she works with women to help them develop their mindsets and business. And finally, check out her book, Dying to Be a Good Mother. Without further ado, though, let's just get into the conversation. Here we go. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Heather, thank you so much for being on Here to Thrive today. I have known of you for many years, so it's a bit of a treat to really connect for the first time. I love this. I am so grateful. Um, Like I was saying to you, this is the first, you know, when you're getting out of that, I'm not going to call it a holiday slump, but that new year, I'm just really excited. This is the first interview I'm doing in 22. So we'll see where the magic goes. I'm very excited to see where the magic goes. We were touching on before we jumped on the call formally that I have known about your podcast, Mum is in Control, for Mm. as long as I've been a podcaster. And Here to Thrive is not new by any means. It's six years old. And so you know this field pretty well, Heather. Yeah, I want to say yes. And then it just keeps evolving and changing But yeah, like I was saying to you, I wasn't even sure how old my podcast was because I've, I mean, I've evolved so much since that time as well. But mom, mom is in control came from my need. Like I always tell people, I felt like I was screaming when I started my podcast because I think there's always a desire, you know, like a, a 
core basic human connection, right? There's always a psychological reason of why we do what we do. And mine was to be heard when I started my podcast because I felt so alone as a mother and who I wanted to be. And I had a coach at the time that was like, okay, you're doing target market research. You're talking to all of these women. You're talking to mothers. They all want to feel in control. That's the title of your podcast. And my gut reaction was like, mm, no, I don't like that name. And it took me all the way until now to completely release it. And now we're rebranding the name to Emotionally Uncomfortable. Oh, this is just so juicy. Like we're right into it, Heather. <laughs> Like the evolution of you, I would love to hear more about when you look back on the last seven plus years of your journey, Yeah, some of the ways in which you've evolved. You just mentioned you feel like you were, you were really wanting to be heard at the start. Mm -hmm. How would you describe yourself now and the evolution that has taken place? Yeah. So if I go back a little bit, just for people who are listening and don't, you know, they're like, who is this Heather? lady that is speaking right now, mothering motherhood was the thing that cracked me open. And my oldest, so I have three boys, they're 17, 12, and nine. I was 18 years old when I became a mother. And it's kind of weird to feel young and also watch my son who's becoming a man who's almost the same age that I was when I had him looking at him going, there's no way. And if you did become a parent right now, like there's so much you have to learn. But that was my my aha moment because previous to that, I was a severely depressed teenager. I felt incredibly unheard, but also un like misunderstood, misaligned. You know, everyone had low expectations for me. And my mother was checked out. She was checked out emotionally. She was a single parent, but she had a lot of emotional trauma. And I love her to pieces. And she lives with us now. And as you could just probably dissect, you know, the type of person I became, I realized that, I don't know, there was this veil that like was lifted off of me when I became a mother. And I remember just telling myself this mantra of, I don't want to become a statistic. And so I started shifting my mindset to, and now it's funny because I look at all of the research and I'm not a researcher type person, but I just see how personal development has changed and brain science changed and brain science and the you know meditation and mindfulness and how they're backing that up. And when I looked back at my childhood, I was so focused on my shit. Like I was so focused on what I didn't have. And I was so focused on my pain. And I was surrounded by adults who did the same thing. So it's, it's called that learned helplessness. So fast forward, I become a mother and I kind of do the opposite. Like I, I switch, I flip that switch and the switch is now, how can I, how can I, how can I feel good? How can I become the person I want my child to be? And fast forward, I mean, doing all this personal development work and then deciding to leave my job as a social worker because I was passionate about helping children because I did never wanted my children to feel the way that I felt as a child. And so I just kept becoming, becoming, becoming. I was always two steps ahead of my children of like, okay, now you're teaching me this. Now I need to manage my anxiety. Now I need to do this. Eight years ago, I am diagnosed and I already started my business at the time, Kate. I was like, a no, I was a few months in to literally signing the form at work that I was never coming back again. And then a few months later, I get a diagnosis of a stage four sporadic Burkitt's lymphoma. So I thought, okay, stage one, stage two, like I'm good. They're like, Heather, it's stage four. It's rapid growing. If you don't do something about this, like you're going to die. And so that's where my message started to shift because I was so focused on the children, the children, the children, children's behavior, parenting. How does the child feel? Which is exactly what our culture does. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, put the mirror on yourself. And so that's when I shifted into dying to be a good mother 
and how as a woman, I was dying to be me and I was dying to be good, but I was doing it from everyone else's expectation. Um, and that's, you know, that mom is in control was born from that, but it never sat right with me. And then now coming to this point where I'm like, you know what, I know we'll get in the conversation about identity and motherhood, but I'm like, what is the common theme here? What do I always come back to? What do I love talking about? Which is emotional intelligence. And I realize that you were already emotionally uncomfortable, but we're avoiding fear. We're avoiding the guilt. We're numbing ourselves. We're busying ourselves. We're saying it's normal and it's not. Mm-hmm. And in order to create that freedom that you crave, you literally have to grow your courage and you have to become more courageous, which is emotionally uncomfortable and it's not going to kill you. And I'm like, let's go there. This is no longer, yes, I'm a mother. Yes, parenting is legit my number one priority, but it is not consume all parts of me. Mm, and I'm drawn to the fact that you said, leaning into courage is not going to kill you. But like Mm. you said, dying to be a good mother, you have this moment where you're like, holy shit, I have stage four cancer. Like you were dying quite physically in the truest sense of the word. And so what do you feel like that really did teach you around motherhood? And, and I'm hearing how you were also showing up or not showing up for yourself, Heather. Hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, right? And I can see it so clearly now when I look at my past, but also when I look at other women and I just see what odds are against us, but also the baggage that we carry. But I've really gotten angry and frustrated at like the belief the beliefs that women carry. And I understand that this is all humans, but when we're carrying those beliefs, we're literally passing that down to our children. And I remember a moment and I talk about this in my book. So people think the book dying to be a good mother is my cancer story. It's not almost dying was the literal term or the literal manifestation of how I was dying years before. Like, My soul was dying. My physical body was dying, mental, emotional, whatever. And people would say to me, that's normal. That's Mm. normal. Like you're supposed to be exhausted. You're supposed to be overwhelmed. And I was also not supposed to question it. And there's a specific moment. Talk about courage. Talk about being backed into a corner. Um, When I came home in between treatments, so there would be a few days where I would be in between treatments. And so I'm I'm at my end, like I'm emotionally exhausted. I don't have any more energy to fight. And I wake up in the middle of the night in a panic, like having a panic attack. And the first thing I do is think about not waking up my family, right? Mm -hmm. So I discount my emotional state to please other people, to not ruffle any feathers. I go to the bathroom I'm lying in fetal position on the bathroom floor, like huddled in fetal position on the bathroom floor, like just trying to hold my pain in, hold my tears in, hold my fear in. And I'm repeating to myself in my head, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Cause that was the fear talking. Mm. And then I knew better because at that point I had nine years of personal development under my belt. And I laugh because think about how many people love spiritual entertainment, how many people love reading the books, listening to the podcasts, buying the cheap courses, but they're not doing the emotionally uncomfortable work, right? So I had nine years under my belt. So I knew enough and I was like, okay, but you don't want to feel dead. How do you want to feel? So I went from, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Focusing on the pain, right? To what do I want? So I'm like, how do I want to feel? I want to feel alive. 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 And then, and this makes me cry. Like this still brings me back to that moment, Kate. I, and of course my dog's barking in the background now. Mine are right here, right next to us too, Heather. (laughs) This is life, right? This is life. In that moment, I remember going, my biggest fear is not dying. 
my biggest fear is that I have no idea how to feel alive. Oh. And that moment was my moment of, um, I got to figure out how to feel. I have to figure out how to feel alive. Um, I was not the same person after that. Mm. I was not the same person. Obviously, we're sitting here having this conversation nine years later. So I am assuming your physical health, uh, you overcame the cancer, Heather? Oh, yeah. So I feel so far removed from cancer. I feel healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. I overcame the cancer. I did go through traditional treatment, which I had resistance to, and I kind of had to surrender to, you know, I don't need to control everything and really work on my belief systems and just accepting, right? I'm a huge believer in energy. So um, I was like, you know what, you're in a crisis state because you refused to take care of yourself. You don't get to make a choice right now. You've waited too long to make a choice. Um, And I did that. And then I invested a lot in functional medicine. And since then have just now my, my belief system and where I focus my energy and attention is how good can it get? How good can it get? How good can it get? And the interesting thing is, you know, we're recording this in 21, 22, it's 22. I was going to say, I was like, dang it, 22. So everyone knows what happened in 2020. Right. And I cannot tell you, I don't know what I, it's just, it's coming out of me, but I, I feel like I'm having deja vu. Like the last two years, I felt like I've been having deja vu, but it's almost like I'm in this weird matrix and I'm watching everybody else experience what I experienced, maybe not on the same level in their own way, watching how their lives are so unsustainable, Mm. watching how systems are so unsustainable and observing the people who are willing to say, it's time to fucking change versus the people that are like hanging on for dear life. And I am so, it just, it goes to show like the work that you do really pays off. I feel like I was training for a marathon and now I'm running it and I'm like, holy shit, what you do when nobody else is watching truly makes an impact. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with, with everything that you're saying, the, the unsustainability of our lifestyles. We definitely have to touch on that. But I want to come back to, obviously, you overcame the physical aspects of cancer. But like you said, the bigger journey was about learning how to feel alive in your heart, your mind, your, your soul is what I'm hearing. How did you find your way to that sense of aliveness from feeling so, I guess, lost out in the wilderness? Mm. My first reaction is I'm still figuring that out. And I think when I say that, it's because it's limitless. Like aliveness to me is that abundance that everyone is craving, that freedom that everyone is craving, that that contentment, that fulfillment, like everyone has their version of what that means to them. But when we have the unknown, of course, we have the fear of the unknown. Like, I've never felt alive before. It wasn't that I had to start unpacking my trauma or doing all of those things. The way that I went about it was, if I want to feel alive, what things, what actions do I think are going to make me feel that way? So there's kind of a concept that I developed called energetic time management, which is essentially reverse engineering how you want to feel. And if I knew the feeling that I was after, I had to start implementing things that I thought would make me feel alive. But when you don't know what that aliveness is, you know, I used to look at other people and think, well, they, they look happy. So I'm going to do what they do, but not from like, I'm going to copy off of them. I'm going to take aspects of their life. So I would see people walking every day. So then I would make myself a habit, go for a 10 minute walk a day. And I didn't do that right at the beginning because I didn't have the strength, 
So when I was in bed and I had nothing left to give and my children are chaotic and life is just it, what it is, I would say, what would allow me to feel more aligned? What would make me feel, I want energy. What's going to give me more energy. So I'm like, get your ass out of bed, take a shower and that's it. Like just, that's all you have to do. So I would take the shower and I'd go back to bed and I'm like, Hey, check, you're done. And then like the kids would come in and um, like, how can I feel more connected to the kids? Because that was aligned for me. So I would just let them cuddle me. Like, I don't have to be anything for them right now. I don't have to do anything. I started noticing that people were trying to support me by taking my children away, like physically taking the kids out of my house and like trying to babysit them. And what I realized is my children did not want that. They wanted to be with me. And just because I couldn't educate them or you know, perform for them didn't mean that I wasn't good enough. So I started asking myself, what feels more, what feels more connected? Uh, what do my children need? What do my children want? How am I putting expectations on myself? And it was a daily struggle forever. And it still is sometimes because, but now I've trained my brain of how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? And I just wrote a post about this on Instagram that, you know, things have slipped. The holidays weren't perfect but I'm so far removed from survival mode that, and it has nothing to do with my children's ages. It has nothing to do with the work that I do. It's how I'm treating myself. I'm so far removed from survival mode that I can get back up. And I've improved the relationship with myself so much that this is truly what it's all about. I love how do I want to feel because what a great measure or it's a checkpoint, really, like you're saying that energetic time management, if you start with how do I want to feel, then you can look at am I doing the things that are going to lead to that? Wow, uh, you know, it sounds simple, yet like we're talking about applying this stuff is, is where, it, where it comes to the fore. You touched on the beliefs that women carry, and we were talking about earlier in the conversation, Heather, just, and I've been on the receiving end of this as well, right? Oh, well, we're supposed to feel overwhelmed. We're working mothers or we're stay-at-home mothers. Like this is this is the shtick. Like you're mm-hmm. supposed to be underwater and feeling like you're drowning at all times. Like shh, shush, honey, this is how it goes. I would love to hear more about your thoughts around some of the beliefs that you think are pervasive with parents or mothers, I should say, and what damage that is possibly doing for us. It's killing us. It is an epidemic. Nobody will talk about it because of same reasons why they don't talk about women's health. Um, But I feel like when the veil is lifted or you kind of get inside some of these things, you think differently, you show up differently, you lead your life differently the work is never done. My message is constantly evolving, but now I see how ingrained motherhood is in our identity. And I'm many things to many people, but I am a human. I am a soul having a human experience. I identify as female, which is a social construct. Like, Gender identity is a social construct. Sexual identity is a social construct. Like humans actually made that up based on observation of other human behavior and then decided to say, this is what we're supposed to do. So when we all fall in order, you know, we're, we're little, what do you call it? Little marching soldiers. I was like little lemmings that in the, in the nineties used to like fall off the edge of the cliff. 100%. And, but then all of a sudden, you know, somebody else is like, Hey, why are you doing that? And then they're like, kill them, kill them, burn them at stakes, like all of that, right? All the weird history stuff that I never got into. And then now I'm like, interesting. So my point is, I understand that not everyone has equal opportunity in their families and in their lives to speak up and to be themselves. I've gotten to the point in my own identity and my own sense of leadership and in my own sense of life that 
I constantly have to work on this, but I've realized that the more I become the change that I want to see in others, whether it's my child, whether it's my husband, whether it's my clients, whether it's the world, the more I do that wildly emotionally uncomfortable work, the more I actually make change. Because if I show up that way, there's somebody that I've never had a conversation with that I'm actually influencing that is saying, if she can do it, I can do it too. And then it's this like invisible ripple effect. I mean, we just have to look at history and how I can even speak my truth today. And that's not a dangerous thing for me where decades ago it would have been or opportunities that my mother was never granted or my grandmother or my great grandmother. And so it's just, it's like unlearning, undoing and becoming, it sounds so cliche and yet it's, it's not emotionally comfortable work. It's not something that everyone wants to take on, but I do feel like that is lighting, lighting, lighting the load for the women behind me. I also, it's, it's healthier. Like I'm not doing the work for everybody else. You know, when you're living in survival mode or you're living on autopilot, you become very angry, you become resentful, that becomes part of your identity, you're constantly overwhelmed, like you were saying, and then your brain is looking for for, uh, reassurance that you're doing the right thing. So then you go on social media and everyone else is telling you that they're overwhelmed. Everyone else is telling you that you should feel this way. And you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing the good thing. And I'm so grateful that I somehow was born a rebel, a questioner. Like I, my mother would say, you were around 10 years old when I realized you were different. I was like, what do you mean different? Like, I'm just like, why do you do that? You know, like I questioned everything. I, I actually did very poorly in school because I didn't follow the rules. I wasn't trying to be a good student. I questioned my professors, my teachers all the time. I'm like, I could do it easier this way. Can I do it this way? Nope, that's not the formula. That's not how we get there. Therefore, you fail this test. And I was like, well, I got the same answer, but I did it my way. So I guess I fail. And I walked around with an identity that I was stupid, that I wasn't good enough for a really, really long time. It wasn't until I became a a business owner, like an entrepreneur, that I realized I could create it on my terms. And I would have never gone into business if it weren't for becoming a parent. It wasn't even on my radar. I did not think I was capable. Mm. There's, I, I feel like there's so much to unpack there, Heather, right? Like those identifications or those beliefs about self that you pick up at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was the stroke of luck that, that you now can look back and see those as complete bullshit that that you were so much more capable than you may have believed i feel like this also ties into the unsustainability i would love to hear more about how motherhood played a part in you starting your own business because i i second that that's why i have my own business it's not because i was some insane entrepreneur it's Mm -hmm. because i was like shit me i will not go into corporate america i will not go into management consulting because i didn't have two children to never see them and so i literally started my business as an act of rebellion and i was like well shit me i'll do it myself (laughs) and i also feel you on the why thing as a kid i was annoying as hell yeah but but, so i would love to hear more about your journey into becoming a businesswoman not just a mother so i think this is funny because you just positioning it that way makes me think of how people are currently talking about the great resignation and how women are leaving the workforce in like droves and just mass numbers and they're blaming it on covid And I'm like, why do we continue to blame surface level issues? And then they're trying to fight back, right? And they're like, oh, we have to make things more sustainable. And it's like, I get it. And I'm so grateful that all of this disruption is happening. It's wildly emotionally uncomfortable. It is not healthy. But change does not happen until you say enough is enough and I am no longer going to participate in this lack of sustainability. 
So let me give you a physical example of an everyday situation. Having a conversation with another adult or a child, and you don't want to be in a relationship with anyone or any situation where you feel disrespected, where you feel like people are walking all over you, where you feel not appreciated. So I made a rule. There's something that I talk about in the book. It's the red green and yellow zone. People talk about them as the zones of regulation. And I don't know why I'm a visual learner. So I, we always just have language in our house. Like I'm in the red zone in the red zone. You do not try to solve a problem. That's that's stop in the yellow zone. That's when you know, red is coming. And a lot of people do not even know that they have a yellow zone because they're just living way too quick and emotionally numb and they're not paying attention. The green zone is where magic happens. The green zone is where you are creating those magical habits. But the reason why people don't stay in the green zone really long is because we're afraid of our own joy and good feelings. So when we are in the green, we just think it's, it's luck. But in reality, we were taking action on something. We got in the green zone. And that's really when you instill your habits. That's really when you're like, okay, I'm doing really, really good. I'm going to stay here. But typically what people do is they cut off those habits, get back into their red zone. And then they think, oh, they blame it on whatever situation that was. So my point of this is our lives are not sustainable, but they can be. In these relationships, when I'm talking to somebody that's in their red zone, I simply look at them and say, I can see you're not ready to have a conversation right now. Let's do this tomorrow or let's do this later. And I disengage. And my children hate this, but they don't (laughs) do this to me anymore. They don't do this to me anymore because I've taught them how to treat me. So my husband doesn't do this either where he's like, you know, he went from zero to red. And now he's like, he can self-regulate because I've taught everybody in the home how we have healthy conversations with each other without arguing. So of course I had to do the work first. So I'm like, I can see you're not ready yet. Let's have this conversation later. And then they're like, no, I can see you're not ready yet. We'll talk about this later. That's a boundary. That's an emotional boundary. And I, you just do that over and over and over again, meaning I will not participate in long-term lack of sustainability. I will take action. I will get a project done. I will show up, but I will not do it long-term. Hey, this is not sustainable. We need to figure this out. And everyone just continues to participate in lack of sustainability and tell themselves, this is life. This is adulting. This is parenting. I feel like you're talking about what I would term as like self self authorship. You know, you talked about getting out of survival mode. I'm hearing themes of you have to be willing to make tough decisions for yourself. It's courage, Mm -hmm. as we talked about at the start, or otherwise you're putting up with the status quo. No one said a wonderful life came easy, right? Like you have to make those hard choices. And just that example of you teach people how to treat you, which I believe wholeheartedly, I think it's such a powerful one because we also get to choose what we accept and don't accept. But I don't think I I won't say I don't think, I think there's many people who don't even question what they have in front of them. They just do, as you said, run on autopilot and go along for the ride, giving all of their power away. 100%. And that's, I was not taught this as a child. I was not taught this as a teenager. People are not taught this. Like, where do we typically get our education from? Right? And People always say, oh, we don't learn this money stuff in school. We don't need to blame the system. Like, yes, we know the systems are not serving us and they're not serving our children. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) What do you have control over? And I know I've tried. I used to work in a system as a social worker that was not serving the greater good. And my soul literally was like, you cannot be here for 30 years. I did not want to get a paycheck and then figure out how to live after I retired. So 
I knew that early on and I'm grateful that I'm a wildly sensitive person to really figure that out, even though that also brought on shame and feeling like I was failing my clients um, and a lot of guilt, but I had to move through that because I knew what worst case scenario was going to be. And I do believe I probably would have got sick sooner if I didn't do that. But, you know, I see a lot of women too, trying to be advocates for whatever they're passionate about and they're leaders and yet they're dying. Their cups are not full. And I'm like, listen, if we want to make a bigger impact in the world, it's so cliche. Mother Teresa said it, it all starts at home. Mm. Coming back to that thread of you as a businesswoman, mm-hmm. what's this journey looked like for you? It's been what, eight, nine years Heather, since you've been out here doing it on your own? So I actually started my business. So my father and my grandfather were entrepreneurs. My grandmother as well worked in their company. So I came into business being exposed to it at a very young age, but also with the story that I don't want to own a business because I don't want to work like my dad did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had the entrepreneur, I guess, spirit. But I didn't, I was terrified that I had to choose my family or business. And so I already had that story going in, that limiting belief going in. When I started my business, I was, I first started as an energy practitioner. My, I think I was doing Reiki in my bedroom for $40 a session. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to teaching meditation and mindfulness to children And then soon after, I thought that was hilarious because it was the parents who needed to learn how to meditate. (laughs) And that was my first online product, Teach Your Kid to Meditate. And I still get a lot of requests for it right now, which I think is interesting because I'm like, go put on a meditation app. Go learn these skills yourself and learn to teach your children. But what they're really focusing on is my child needs to calm down when in reality, sure, our children do need these coping strategies, but we also need to be able to be their teachers. And so I started teaching those skills to children. And I remember one day, the local newspaper was coming into this like community center that I was renting out for the one hour I was there. And I thought to myself, do you think they would interview me? And so I got the courage to tap on his shoulder and tell him he needed to interview me. And he did. And then I thought, can I do this full time? And I'm like, well, how can I make a living charging $10 a head? So that's when I learned about online products and I created a digital product and it failed wildly because I had nobody to sell it to. So I definitely bought into that, you know, whole like, create an online product and become a millionaire overnight, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is still around. It's by still, the way. I feel like it's more pervasive than when we started eight, eight yes. nine years ago, Heather. It's yeah. even louder now. Yeah. Like back then, I feel like we almost made, like there was just definitely, it's just so weird to me because I hear that from people or people are like, I'm going to have 50 people in my program and I'm going to charge this amount of money. And I'm like, first of all, have you ever charged anybody a dollar? And do you have any clients? Like you have so much work to do and you're going to be, this is going to be a punch in the face to you when you realize the inner work that you have to do online or in person. It doesn't matter. That's just tools. Like it's just software. Like we're talking on Skype right now. That's just software right? Like you could, but we could have talked in a studio. It's just one to many, right? Like we get to talk to more people. Um, but for whatever reason, people think it's the same thing. Like you need a website. The first website I hired out was $3,000 and I had to pay almost $60 every time I needed an update. And I mean, everyone has that horror story. Now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to scrap my website again. And I just want to put a one pager up and I just want to put everything on Instagram and podcasts. Like everyone can find me on these other platforms. Like things change all the time. You can get started so quickly, 
but again, it's the confidence. It's like, do you know how to connect? Do you know how to build those relationships? So I started investing in myself. I remember hiring my first coach from a Facebook ad. And one thing that I will say I do very well and I've always done is I can read people really well and I trust my gut and I've never gotten screwed. So people are always like, I've had horrible experiences. And I'm like, there's something like I could smell bullshit a mile away. Like I, when someone is posturing, when someone's trying to be like somebody else, I'm not attracted to that. So, you know, there's people in the industry, you know, people are like, I love this person. And I'm like, I do not. And everybody <laughs> else loves them. And then something else comes out and I'm like, were you surprised? How are you not surprised? So people can't see that. So I've never been screwed. And I will tell you my first coach changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. So grateful for her. And I didn't even know that was a world because I came from the therapy world where you just talk about your problems and you talk about your past, which is fine. There's a time and a place for that. But I always say you do not go to the dentist when you have a broken bone. <laughs> you have to understand that there's a difference. And sometimes we don't even know what the difference is. So if you're working with anyone or doing anything and you're getting this feeling like it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, you need to seek alternative and I don't mean alternative solutions. You need to do something different that you wouldn't normally do. And I just kept going. I kept investing in myself. I remember I had a coach when I was diagnosed. I maxed out my freaking credit cards. And it's not because I just kept buying the shit. I would buy something. I would invest in it. And I would do the emotionally uncomfortable work. And then I would... I would go to, okay, now what do I need to learn? And I would learn that other skill. And then I would hire people that like on my team, that was wildly uncomfortable. And I just kept going. And now we're at like multi-million dollar company. I don't mm. even say business anymore. It's a company. My husband has left his corporate job. He works within the company. Like I call it a company now. I'm not, it's, I'm creating an empire, but I would have never in my entire life imagined that I was here. I literally show up and take one step at a time and it's always changing, like always, always. And I'm always uncomfortable, always. <laughs> I feel like that is the piece, you know, that beautiful thread of it's gonna be uncomfortable, but, but that is good. It means you're pushing yourself and finding your edges and becoming the, the, I don't know, higher version of yourself, right? Like we're always evolving. Uh, my story with business, you know, is very similar, Heather, in, in that, and I tell this to people who are considering doing something sort of off the beaten path all the time. Like, don't get obsessed with the details at the start because you're going to evolve. Your business will evolve. Like, allow the process to unfold. But the one thing you've got to do is take action. Oh my God. Can we talk about action? Oh, we can talk about action, Heather. Okay. So everyone knows the whole, the secret, the, mo <laughs> the yes. movie, the book, right? They become obsessed with the law of attraction. So we're getting into the law of attraction. I, you know, you're trying to get into this mysticalness of like, oh my gosh, I just need a vision board. And I can think about what I want and I don't need to do the work. And I fell into that trap. I came from a world of, I don't want this life, right? I think we all do that. We dive into spirituality on our own terms, which might, which maybe has nothing to do with religion or how we grew up. And again, this guru-ness and I'm listening to it and I'm, I'm like, okay, I just need to think about it. I just need to think, okay, I just need to meditate. Okay. I'm meditating. And I'm like, think positive thoughts, right? Think positive thoughts. And then yet after that meditation, I'm yelling at my children. I'm watching TV. I'm going for a walk. I'm ruminating on my thoughts, but I'm not implementing anything. And then when I started taking action, when I started implementing, I realized, oh, now I need to discover resistance. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to learn about resistance and fear. 
okay, but that's not in alignment with how I want to feel. So I'm going to run away from it. I'm going to run away from resistance. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And I see it in my clients all the time. And that's what I really like to teach is what do you want? Okay. Are you ready to get that courage to do the emotionally uncomfortable thing? You've got to take the action. And there's a lot that we're learning here and that we're unlearning. I am not the same person that I was 10 years ago. And when I meet people or like reconnect with people who knew me then and who knew me in high school, they're like, you are not even recognizable. And I'm like, listen, this is about identity. I no longer identify as that person, but you can change. You can change so much about yourself. We are so aligned, Heather. You and I, we speak the same language. I reckon we have the same spirit guides up there speaking in Mm. our ears. I love that. I uh, like to ask a few fun questions, Heather, just so we can kind of like pull back the curtain on your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you ready? Go for it. Would you be able to remember what's on your bedside table? Yes, lots of unread books. (laughs) Sounds like mine too. And And a makeup bag and probably some garbage and an empty cup of tea. Very nice. What is your favorite self-care activity? Boundaries. Oh, that is so powerful. Yes. Is there a book that you've read that touched you at an important turning point in your life? One that left a mark? The funny thing is, is I grew up having a very difficult time reading. So I actually didn't read a lot of books. And as an adult, I don't I don't read a lot now, even though I'm an author, I do listen to a lot. And there, I have forced myself to read a few books. And I will tell you that the one titled, um, the leader who had no title by Robin Sharma. Um, he's also like the one who's like the monk that sold the, sold his Ferrari and the 5am club or something. He's been around forever. That one, the leader who had no title really impacted me because it talks about leadership and how we can make an impact in people's lives without being on stage or even, you know, a CEO and things like that. Mm, Beautiful. What is a life lesson that you feel took you a good long while to learn? I mean, we talked about it today. I think it was that feeling alive is your birthright feeling alive is what you're searching for. It's not your purpose. Like you're not searching for your purpose. You're actually just searching to feel good. And that is exactly what the world needs from you. Heather, how would you describe the soul? I mean, that to me is who I am. That's the essence of like life force. I don't know. I feel like I can't even communicate what that is. And I'm still curious about it on a deeper level. But I'll tell you that that is, that's my number one relationship is like that connection with self and also connection with other people. I think it's like, I'm trying to have a soul to soul connection with every person that I meet instead of like a head to head connection. Because I think when we feel connected, when we build that no like and trust with other humans, it's not because, oh, I like your shirt or we have something in common. It's because it's like, I see you on a soul level. That's super powerful. And the final, the final intermission question, what does fulfillment mean to you now? It's so simple. What makes you feel good? Go do that. And like, I don't mean ice cream makes me feel good. <laughs> like what is what's that thing that's gonna that feels good on a deeper level that probably scares the shit out of you. Like I'll give you a practical example. I live in a country, I live in Canada where it's legit illegal for me to go to the gym right now because they're closed down and the only way I could go was to hire a personal trainer at that gym to do a one-on-one session with me. And of course I had resistance around that. I had anger and frustration around that, but I had to choose the deeper like desire. And the desire is like to feel really strong in my body. And I'm privileged. I've gotten myself to a point where I don't have to like 
question every penny that goes out. Cause I remember at times when I could not afford uh, like a $20 gym membership. And so to be able to say, I need this and I'm going to act on that, that is aligned with fulfillment, like acting on that deeper desire that you know, you need and trust it's going to be uncomfortable and you need to say yes to it. Oh, I feel like we have covered so much today, Heather. And like I said, it's been really great to connect with you, having sort of been in, in similar spheres. And I'm just like, we should have spoken earlier, Heather. Why did it take me so long to find you? <laughs> I love it. Well, it happened when it needed to. It happened when it needed to. As we wrap up today, for all of those mothers and women, and I guess just everyone out there listening right now, is there anything that you would like to leave them with as a thought today? I just give you permission. First, I just want to validate that what you are feeling and thinking is normal and you are 100% correct with how you feel, even if you don't ever feel heard or people don't get you. And then just to give yourself permission to be, to be that advocate for yourself, but also be the person you want other people to be like, really take that stand for yourself. I know it's difficult. And then sometimes when we do give ourselves permission to attend that event, to invest in ourselves, to do that thing, other people give us pushback. So just think of me and Kate and give yourself permission to go after what you want because everybody benefits. What a great way to start 2022. I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with Heather. As I talked about, we've been in this field for a similar amount of time. And so just connecting with her finally was really cool. I love the fact that she touched on her evolution. And I think I could feel that having watched her for many years, just her depth and confidence in this space which is really cool. I think her messages about not being afraid to get uncomfortable, challenging the beliefs and the stories we hold about ourselves and how really maybe it's not passion that we're chasing, but the deep desire to feel alive inside. I feel her on all of it. If you want to know more about Heather, you can head to heatherchauvin.com. You can also find her TEDx talk, Dying to Be a Good Mother, and her book is of the same name. Heather does work with women, so head over to heatherchauvin.com to learn more about how you can work with her. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this show, people, it would mean the world to me if you could take the time to write a review. It helps so much in whether or not this show gets seen by new people. So take that time to leave a positive rating and review. We appreciate them. Maybe you can tell a friend about Here to Thrive if you've found it useful. That helps too, right? Nothing like word of mouth. I appreciate you all and I hope that 2022 is treating you kindly so far. Here's to a wonderful rest of this year. In the meantime... Before we meet again, keep thriving, beautiful people, keep thriving.